Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset, hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome to the Career Contessa podcast, your shortcut to being more fulfilled, healthy, and successful work. I'm your host, Lauren McGoodwin. Growing up, my mom believed in mental health days. And to be honest, I think learning to rest and take breaks was one of the most important skills for me to learn early on. That's why I'm so excited to have Jacqueline Margulis on the show today. She's a PhD focused on workplace wellness, and she's going to share the science of workplace recovery, how to take a mental health days, including the signs that you actually need one, and what to do to really rejuvenate yourself on one, plus tips for dealing with burnout long-term. And now this is the Career Contessa podcast. Well, thank you for joining us today, Jacqueline. Start by telling us who you are and what you do as a professor who focuses on workplace wellness. Yeah, my pleasure. Um, I'm so excited to be here and thrilled to be chatting with you as a fan of the podcast. So I'm a professor of applied behavioral science at Pepperdine University's Grazia Dio Business School. I'm also a department chair there for the behavioral science and organizational theory department. So what I love to focus on and my bread and butter is teaching students about professional development and employee well-being, and I primarily teach our MBA students. I also do research and writing on topics such as exhaustion, collaboration overload, social comparisons, and leadership. I think I've said this before on the podcast, but I feel like in another life, that's the job I want. I think it would be so cool to like focus on this research and you know, I feel like I talked to a lot of experts who have done the research and then they come and they share it. And I just think it would be fascinating to be on the other side. So you're having my like alter egos career. I love that. That's so cool. <laughs> it is really cool. I am a huge fan of school. And if I could be a student forever, I would. And this is kind of the flip side where I still get to be a student and learning and discovering new knowledge all the time. So I can't imagine doing anything else, although it's pretty cool what you get to do also. Yeah, I know. It's it's not, we just have to merge our two jobs. Together. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. So tell me, what does it really mean when we say workplace wellness? This has become a buzzword that you see everywhere. But what does it actually mean? I'm sure as an expert on this, you're like, everyone's getting this wrong. <laughs> yeah. Well, workplace wellness isn't actually a research term. It's more of a catch-all that we use to encompass a lot of different characteristics. So I think there's power in the fact that we're talking about it a lot. The fact that we care about how people are doing as individuals in addition to their performance is something that's really wonderful. Uh, But I think the reason that we're hearing it everywhere is because we saw people's workplace wellness suffer starting with the pandemic and onwards. And one of my favorite ways that I like to explain it is that if you imagine a Jenga tower, if you've ever played Jenga before, 
And all of the pieces that are in it contribute to our wellness. So it's things like having a supportive culture at work, having a great leader, having the support at home or the family care that you need in order to do well and be engaged and be happy at work. But what we saw during the pandemic is that those pieces from the Jenga tower started to get removed and our tower of workplace wellness became more and more precarious. And so a lot of times when we're talking about workplace wellness, we're contrasting it with employees not doing great, not feeling great, and perhaps even being burnt out. Yeah. It's interesting that you say it's not really a, like a research term, it's a catch-all, but it's, it's the catch-all because wellness, as you pointed out, is a lot of different things. Right. And oftentimes I think that people want to hear if you just did more of this thing, your, your workplace wellness would fix exactly. it. Right. But it's so unique and individual to each person. It sounds like it is absolutely. We know a number of things that contribute to workplace wellness or on the flip side contribute to burnout but it is a lot of figuring out what works to you. One of probably the most frustrating things that I say in my class to students is it depends because a lot of it is dependent on who the person is and the environment that they're in. And there is no equation. I wish there was this really simple equation, but there isn't. It's very complex and it's very individualistic. I also find it interesting that we started to focus on this kind of like COVID brought it to light, but like workplace wellness should have been important years before that too. You know, like parents were working before COVID and struggling. Like I saw someone on LinkedIn the other day and she had this post and it was like, I'm sorry to all the parents who I said, you still had to come to the 8am meeting, not understanding how hard and like almost impossible it is to get somewhere by 8am when you have to drop your kids off and all that. And she was saying now that she's a parent, she understands it. And so it's just sort of like, I feel like the, the positive part of COVID is it brought a lot of this to the surface and more of a focus on it, but it's not like these things didn't exist before. They're not brand new. They definitely have always existed. But the fascinating thing in you saying that is I've been teaching these courses for 10 years or so now. And you can imagine sometimes when you teach MBA students, especially those who are really interested in the numbers and that side of it, it's hard to convince them to talk about the touchy-feely side of business. Um, And 10 years ago, I would have to spend the whole first class session kind of convincing students about the importance of people at work. And now when I start my classes, people are already talking about this. I don't have to convince them it's it's important. So there definitely has been what I consider an incredibly good shift to this being the forefront of the conversation rather than the background of the conversation where it's kind of hidden in the shadows. We know how important having good and empowered and satisfied people is. And now it's businesses themselves also trying to figure it out. So you're right that it's always been there. It's just kind of snuck out from behind the curtain a little bit more, which is awesome. Yes, it's definitely awesome. You know the feeling when you finally find the thing that you've been searching for on the internet? After spending hours researching and reading thousands of reviews, you find it. That thing, whatever it is, whether it's the perfect pair of work shoes or a bookshelf that fits that awkward corner in your living room, it checks literally all your boxes. Oh, and it has five stars. Oh, and one more thing, it's going to arrive in just 48 hours. So why is it that you can get the most random, wonderfully reviewed thing from around the world in just two days, but if you want to see a good doctor, it can take forever to get an appointment. Not to mention, how do you know if they're even really good? Thankfully, there is a way. It's called ZocDoc, a place to find and book great doctors who actually have amazing reviews, many with appointments within 24 hours. ZocDoc is a free app where you can find amazing doctors and book appointments online. 
We're talking about booking appointments with thousands of top rated patient reviewed doctors and specialists. You can filter specifically for the ones who take your insurance are located near you or ones that even treat almost any condition you're searching for. These docs have verified reviews from actual real patients, not bots. And the average wait time to see a doctor booked on ZocDoc is between just 24 and 48 hours. That's it. You can even score some same day appointments. ZocDoc allows you to find and book a doctor who is right for you and takes your insurance. I use this service recently to book an endocrinologist because I have hypothyroidism and I needed to have my labs reviewed and I couldn't be happier with how thorough he was. I was able to book the appointment with just a few taps and he took my insurance. So go to ZocDoc.com slash Contessa and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top rated doctor today. One more time, that's ZocDoc, Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash Contessa. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. ZocDoc.com slash Contessa. Hi, I'm Pia Berengini, a creative director of LPA, an entrepreneur, a wife, and a dog mom based in Los Angeles. This is my new podcast, Everything is the Best, where we basically ask interesting people, how did you go from zero to yacht? I'm always curious how the hell people became successful, and I figured you would be too. Get on the internet with me. Let's laugh, let's cry, let's overshare, and let's get inspired to live our best lives. Check out new episodes every Wednesday. It's all for you, baby. Thanks for listening. Love you, mean it. Okay, what are the signs of burnout and the different types of burnout that exist out there? Sure, that's a really important question because part of the problem in that we're talking about this more is that we often use the same word to mean multiple different things. So this is a word that is technical in the, re- in the regard that it has been used in research. So I'll refer to that definition. In the 1970s, Christina Maslach and her colleagues began to study burnout. And they have a pretty famous measure that has largely stood the test of time because it's still being used and shown to be relevant today. And so burnout is thought to be a result of three factors. And so these are the three things that you can keep an eye out for to really see, am I experiencing burnout or am I experiencing something else? So the first is emotional exhaustion. This has to do with being drained and depleted by your work. And this is different than just being tired. Most of us get tired throughout the day and throughout the week but we're able to recover from it. But exhaustion is something deeper. It's when that feeling of tiredness just does not go away. 
So one of the greatest examples that I've heard is by a professor who went on vacation because he was feeling exhausted. And when he came back, instead of being rejuvenated, the exhaustion just hit him again. And so it's that sense of drained that won't go away. So that's the first one, emotional exhaustion. The second is cynicism about your work. So this is when you depersonalize what you're doing. You have a general detachment from your job. A lot of the earliest research in burnout was in the medical field, and this context can provide a really powerful example. Uh, burned out doctors would be those who would start seeing their patients as numbers or cases rather than people. And obviously, that's not what we want, right? As a doctor, you don't want to have that view. And as a patient, you don't want your doctor to have that view. But in general, cynicism is that detachment from the impact of what you're doing. And then finally, the third component is when you start to doubt your own abilities, you doubt your own competence. Signs that you're experiencing this is when you're wondering, can I accomplish this? You begin to have what they call a sense or a lack of personal accomplishment. So those are the three components that we really talk about. Yeah. Yeah, it's really interesting because like the first one I think of is maybe the most common where you're feeling really tired. So you're like, Oh, I'm so tired all the time. I just need like a weekend to rest or where I need no plans or, you know, I need to not work 80 hours a week. I need to cut back to 40. And you're saying like, sometimes that's not the answer, Yeah, which is interesting because we're talking about taking a mental health day, which of these does a mental health day help? And which of these will mental health day not cure at all? (laughs) I love this question so much. So some of the most interesting research on burnout that is coming out and the current research or a current research project that I'm working on focuses on measuring burnout from day to day. And so these these studies are called diary studies. And essentially what we do is we'll survey someone every day to measure their levels of burnout. And what we find is that about 30% of burnout can change from day to day. So the glass half empty perspective is that a lot of burnout is hard to change. It's structural factors, institutional factors that are going to take a while to change. So for instance, we know that a lot of doctors experience burnout because their jobs, they have a lot of demands and not a lot of control over what happens. And so you can imagine that's really difficult to change. But the glass half full perspective is that up to 30% or perhaps more, a little bit less, depending on who you are, can change from day to day. And if somebody were to tell me you can feel 30% better tomorrow, I'm like, sign me up. That's great news that there is the possibility for some small changes along with the bigger, longer term changes that we need to do. Yeah, absolutely. So so maybe a mental health day is the answer for some people. <laughs> it depends what you do with that mental health day and why you're taking it, right? If you're taking the mental health day and expecting that you're going to come back and all of your problems are going to be gone, it's probably going to set yourself up for failure. But if you take a mental health day and figure out what can I do in order to really relax and enjoy this and get the most of it so that I can come back feeling recharged, uh, that's probably going to set you up for a lot more success. So what are the best practices for taking a mental health day that actually does help you recharge? Yeah. And this gets back to that. It depends comment that I like to frustrate people with. It's finding something that's a good fit for you. And some great places to start are figuring out what energizes you and what doesn't. And I know this sounds really basic, but a lot of times we don't do this. We'll just take a mental health day and that they're binging Netflix. And sometimes that's great. Sometimes that's exactly what you need. But a lot of times we need something that's actually going to 
restore us and rejuvenate us. There has been a lot of research into this concept of work recovery. And this gets at this idea of how do we recover from the stresses of work? How do we metaphorically refill our gas tank when it's feeling empty? And sometimes this is just generally relaxation, again, the Netflix, but there are other things that we can do that can help us to refill in better or different ways at different times. Those are things like doing something that you feel masterful over that is different than your work. So for instance, if you really are trying to learn tennis and you love tennis, that can be focusing on that so you can feel a sense of accomplishment over something that's different from work. Another example is just to detach from your work. So too many people will take a day off from work, but say, I don't want to be completely out of the loop. So they'll still be checking their email. And we know that feeling a sense of psychological detachment from work is incredibly important in order to recover. So things that I like to do are ones where I can't be looking at my phone. So for instance, my daughter and I will go in the pool because we cannot take our phones. Well, she doesn't have a phone yet, but I cannot take my phone in the pool. So that forces me to be present in the moment and actually stop thinking about work. But again, you have to figure out what works for you. To give you a silly example that I share with my students is I have so many nature allergies that I'm still working on figuring out the balance. And so if I try to go hiking on my mental health day, I end up feeling worse and worse because that's not currently working for me. And again, that's like an incredibly silly example, but finding that fit with what truly recharges your soul is really important and often takes some self-reflection. Yeah, I think my favorite mental health days from work are setting OOOs because then I feel like I don't have this pressure to check my email or anything like that. Giving people a heads up ahead of time. So I'm not a spontaneous mental health day person, but some people are. I try to pick a quiet day. And then I love like errands and organization. It's sort of like a life catch up day. And that energizes me to because I'm like all these things that were on my to do list or that closet that's been a mess forever. I I think it goes back to one of your things of like, I have control over it and I get a sense of mastery and completion. And I know that fills me up. I love a good Netflix binge, but I know like now that I've I've started to like pay attention to, I'm like, that will fill me up so much more. So it's interesting you talk about this workplace recovery because I do think ultimately taking a mental health day at work, I, I do think is the most successful when it is adding some recovery and not just like that blah feeling. And I think of like- you know, watching TV is like that blah feeling. And it's nice to like turn off your brain for a couple hours and enter the Netflix world. But be honest, you're probably still scrolling Instagram on your phone, checking something on your computer. It's almost like for me, the mental health day has to like take me away from the actual work of the screen or something like that. Absolutely. And I love that you talked about the feeling control because that's an incredible way to recover from work. I actually have an app on my phone where I track my moods. I have my students do this, which is why I do it as well in certain classes. You track your activities and your moods so that you can get an idea of what really works for you. And I am someone who loves a good Netflix binge. And so when I was doing this, what I was realizing is that the first hour for me is really enjoyable just to get that relaxation in. But then that second hour, I start to feel blue and down and just kind of that blah feeling. And so once you start to understand what works for you, you can also create a plan. So for me, if I'm taking a mental health day, the first hour after I drop off my daughter, I might watch a show that I want to catch up on before I start going into my other activities. So understanding what works for you and how you can get that mastery or that control or that detachment or that relaxation is really critical. Many of you know that I'm a working mom of two under two. 
So that means anytime I can travel, it's a really big deal. And when I travel, it's important for me to stick to my routines of moving, eating, and sleeping well for me and my family. Our sponsor, Weston, makes it easy to stay well while traveling. With over 200 destinations around the world, Weston Hotels makes it possible for you to keep up with your wellness routine while traveling. At Weston, you can work out how you want with a variety of fitness options to keep your wellness routine on track while you're away. You can maintain your focus in Weston's workout fitness studios. They're equipped with state-of-the-art equipment, or you can get moving on a group run led by Weston's Run Concierge, a running guide and buddy who makes it easy for you to explore the local areas. Weston has three and five mile scenic running maps that make it easy for you to find the best route to explore on foot. And if you prefer to do your own thing, feel free to use workout and recovery gear available on demand through Weston's gear lending program. I actually did this because I went to Seattle once and I totally forgot all my exercise stuff. And I was really lucky. I was staying at a Weston because they just literally dropped off the gear at my door. It was amazing. And at Weston, you can eat well too with the Weston eat well menu. It's designed with foods that make sure you meet your nutritional needs. So you can choose what's right for you based on your desired portion size and nutritional balance. Weston makes it easier for you to continue nourishing your health, no matter the destination. I always find this really important because I feel like when I travel, I get so far off my routine and I kind of feel really blah. And sometimes it's the drinks and the food and all that adding up. And I love that at Weston, you don't have to worry about that because it's basically taking your routine with you. And at the end of the day, you can sleep well at Weston as well. You can recharge your body and mind with restorative sleep in Weston's renowned heavenly bed, which just so you guys know, as a parent of two under two, the idea of being able to sleep in and sleep in an amazing bed is like probably the best thing ever right now. They even include a sleep well lavender balm, which eases tension and helps you drift to sleep. This is something that I know sounds really small, but it really does help you disconnect from your day and be able to sleep. And again, for anyone with little kids, you understand why this is maybe the best part of any vacation if you can sleep well, and then hopefully they'll also let you sleep in. Weston Hotels and Resorts is part of Marriott Bonvoy, an extraordinary portfolio of hotel brands and an award-winning travel program. At Weston Hotels, there's amenities and offerings aimed to help you move well, eat well, and sleep well, so you can keep your well-being close while away. Find wellness on your next day at Weston. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. I remember too reading an article, it was by Adam Grant, it, it talked about attention residue mm-hmm. and how you can't have your attention switch between things too quickly because there's sort of this like residue yep. that needs to wear off before you can then clearly go into the next thing. So it's actually really smart for like 
that's why they say in work, like work, take a 20 minute break or a 10 minute break between tasks or, you know, watch that TV show in the afternoon before you start whatever nighttime activity. It's like you need like the physical space. And now there's actual research to back that up as well, which is really interesting. How do you recommend that people communicate their need to take a mental health day with their boss and their coworkers? Because I think also, even though workplace wellness is becoming something we're all like it's, it's part of our conversation. Our bosses, I think do want to be supportive, but it can still feel a little taboo to be like, I need a mental health day. Right. Yeah. I, it's a great question. Cause it's a tricky question. Uh, one of the unfortunate realities that I share with students all the time is that what is true and what I wish was true are two still two different things. I wish that everyone you work with would be incredibly supportive when you told them that you need a mental health day because it's not only good for you, but it's also good for your work in the long term. But a lot of people still don't get that. Some people are going to be supportive, but others won't. So when figuring out what to say, the first question is to ask if you need a reason. Sometimes we over explain. If you just put in for PTO, some people will approve it. And it's your business, whether or not you want to share. But if you have somewhere where you have to give a reason, it's really understanding how your boss reacts and how you're going to be able to communicate it. So you, if you have a boss who's incredibly supportive, who listens to your podcast, who understands the benefit of these things, you can probably tell them, like, I just need to recharge my energy. If they don't, it's probably figuring out a way to take a planned mental health day in a way that works. So you might not want to plan it for the busiest time of year. You might want to plan it ahead of time and make sure that you're getting your work done beforehand so that you can say something like, hey, I'm taking this day off next Monday. Here's how I'm going to get my work done ahead of time and give as much information as as is going to make your boss comfortable without feeling the need to overshare. Yeah, I would just add also for people listening whatever you say you're going to do, do it. So if you say you're going to take a mental health day, you've prepped ahead of time, you you have that, oh, oh, don't check email. Don't teach them that you don't actually, you set boundaries, but you don't respect your own boundaries. I would say set your boundary and respect it. It's one day. If they truly do need you in an emergency, they probably have your phone and they can call you. And so I also feel like part of the success of mental health days is like, I can't get in my own head about it. I can't make it a weird thing. And I have to go about it in a way that makes me comfortable. And then I just have to let it be. And I, I feel like it's one of those muscles of like discomfort, but the more you do it, the more you're like, okay, that wasn't so bad. Like nobody died. Like no, nothing nothing weird happened. Nobody was mad. No, like, and also not to read into it too much. Like, oh my gosh, she's totally judging me for taking it. And it's like, maybe they're actually a little envious because they would like to do that too, or something that as I've learned from other people, on the podcast, that's something I've learned is also important is sort of like set your boundary and then stick with it too, because you teach them how to treat you as you go on. I want to circle back to the burnt. We talked about the three types of burnout. If you are experiencing those things in work, what's the solution? I mean, it feels like a mental health day is not going to, not going to cut it, right? You've got cynicism. You are having exhaustion to the point where like a nap, isn't going to fix it. What do you recommend at that point? That's a great and tough question. And so it's a two-tiered approach. Uh, The first is making those short-term changes so that you can start to see some benefits. Again, your burnout isn't going to feel the same every day. And so if you start being compassionate towards yourself, compassionate towards others, seeking support, taking control of what you can, that's going to help. It's not going to solve it, but that's going to help. 
And then the second part, which is the much slower, harder part, is figuring out how to make bigger changes that can fix the environment that you're in. You're giving one great example of drawing the correct boundaries and figuring out how to do that in your world. And that will help you take more control over what you're doing, which ultimately can help alleviate burnout. A lot of times it's figuring out how to get in the right role or conduct your role in a way that gives you a feeling of control while also having a sense of the demands and a community of support that will allow you to succeed. And that can be anything from just working with your current manager to on the extreme, looking for a job where you're in a different culture or a different community. So it's that two-pronged approach where you want to do those short-term fixes that can help you. And often a mental health day can put you on the path, but it's not going to solve the problem. Whereas the other one are the longer-term solutions that do take time, do take energy, and ultimately is based on if you see progress over time, and if not, what are some more substantial changes that you can make then. Yeah. It's almost like in the short term, if you're feeling exhaustion, extreme burnout, you could take the mental health day to start thinking about go to the beach and you sit at the ocean and you just think about what is it I'm going to do? How am I truly going to make some changes in my life? Like that isn't going to obviously the next day you wake up and everything's different, but it's a first step in the right direction. The other thing I was thinking too, is for me, sometimes work is the easier part of the day and there's Mm -hmm. life stuff that is really actually the thing that's causing more burnout. Childcare is obviously a big one that people talk about, but there are also other things in your life. We had a woman come on one time uh, to talk about time management Mm -hmm. and she mentioned something about like buying your time. And I always remember that of like, a big piece of burnout for people is sometimes they want to do it all and they don't have literally enough hours in the day, but could you delegate some of those things to other people? Obviously that's, you know, we're talking about, you know, being in a privileged financial position where you could do that. But I just mean, sometimes I feel like the burnout isn't always necessarily coming from work, but work is the thing that gets a lot of attention for it. Right. It's almost like maybe if I change work, then this burnout will go away. But the problem is you have to understand where your burnout is really originating from. Does that make sense? Oh, it completely makes sense. Yeah, we talked, burnout was originally discussed in the workplace and it has such, it has since then gone to other places. And Ashley Willens out of Harvard and Cassie Holmes, who I believe you interviewed on your podcast before, they do incredible research about understanding how we structure our days and our lives And you were talking about how having privilege to buy yourself out of some activities is really incredible. But even on the margins, when we make changes, um, we can buy ourselves out of some things that can cause us a lot of distress. So one of the studies that I love is they gave somebody, they gave people $40 and said, spend it either, spend it on yourself. And they found that the people, I'm probably misquoting this a little bit, but the general idea was that the people who spent it on activities to buy themselves out of something ended up being happier than those who spent it on themselves. So the people, for instance, who didn't like cooking dinner and spent it on buying dinner from their family would experience this boost in happiness that lasted longer than if you spent it on shoes for yourself. And of course, there's you have to figure out the balance that's right for you. But when I read research like that, what it does is validate this idea that Finding what's not bringing you satisfaction and figuring out ways to work around it can be really powerful. And that you're right, that's not always at work. That tends to be what I focus on is work. But we also have people who focus on mothers who feel burnout or people who feel burnout in other areas of their life. So that's an incredibly important caveat that I'm so happy you brought up. 
Yeah. And even moms deserve a mental health day. You know, I think it's interesting when we think of mental health days, when I was a kid growing up, my mom believed in mental health days. You could wake up and tell her, I just really do not feel like going to school today. And like, you know, you couldn't like abuse the system, but like she believed in mental health days for us as kids and her herself, you know, um, I know it's easier said than done, but I just want to put this out there is like, mental health days, everyone's allowed them. There's no, there's no rule that you have to be, you know, quote unquote employee of, of a workplace to get them. Okay. I want to wrap up because obviously you're a workplace psychologist and I want you to share your top three wellness habits that you follow or rituals or routines that you really love. Oh, that's a, that's a tough, I know, it's a big a one. tough question. <laughs> and I'll couch this by saying that I like to vary what I do. There's a lot of evidence that if we do something too much, it becomes part of what we're expecting to do rather than um, something novel that boosts a change in us. So I'll say it very generally. One of the things that I think is the most important habit is doing something for yourself. So that can be going for a walk, reading a book, getting your nails done, whatever brings you some energy and joy. The second thing I would say is my second habit that I love to do is to do something for someone else. I'm a big fan of writing cards or sending small trinkets and gifts or even just calling someone who I haven't talked to in a while and also helping people who reach out to me. So doing something for yourself, doing something for someone else, And then third, doing something to make a longer term or bigger impact. That's really variable from person to person, but trying to figure out what it is. I think those are my non-committal top three wellness habits, figuring out how to do something for yourself, do something for someone else and doing something to make a bigger impact. I love it. I'll take it. I totally relate to if you do something too often, then you're expected to it. You know, once you have kids, your life is very routine, yes. mostly because it makes life easier to be really routine also, and they thrive on it. But like last Tuesday, we just randomly went to dinner instead of cooking. And it was like, I can't yes. even tell you how happy I was. Like we went to CPK. It was not fancy, yes. nothing crazy out of the ordinary. It was still at like five o'clock, you right. know, but it was like, wow, we broke our routine on a Tuesday night. This is so thrilling. Right. You know, it was just really funny. Like the energy you get, I, someone told me this once too, like back when I was commuting to work, they were saying, if you just take like a different commute to work, it can mm-hmm. like really re-energize you because you start to do those things on autopilot. So I love that you said that because I have personally experienced that. And let me tell you guys, it's a thrill. Yes. <laughs> Yes, absolutely. Okay. Well, Jacqueline, thank you so much for sharing these tips. I think it gives everyone a lot of confidence in not just to ask for the mental health day, but what to do with their mental health day to really recharge. I think this concept of workplace recovery is so important. So thank you for coming on the show to share it with us today. Where can people find you, follow you if they want to keep tabs on your work? Oh, sure. I have a little Instagram account that I don't post as much as I would like to on called the workplace PhD. I love it. Actually, that's where I found you and you post a a lot and it's all really good stuff. And so everyone at Workplace PhD, I'll put a link to it in the show notes. Thank you so much again. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Career Contessa podcast. Please don't forget to rate and review our show. It really does help our show get found by new listeners. If you're curious if what you're experiencing is actual burnout or just a tough day at work, try out our free burnout quiz. In just a few questions, you can determine your burnout level and type. I've linked to this free quiz in the show notes. Please note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.